But this morning, I would like to say I am truly delighted to welcome Pete Reed. He was one of my lectures at uh, Regents Theological College. Very enthusiastic. Lots of no stories. Pressure. No pressure. Mancunian accent. <laughs> but that's not our focus this morning. <laughs> it's Jesus. So I'd like us to uh, welcome uh, Pete up to the stage now. Let's welcome Pete up to the stage. Thank you, mate. Now, Pete, I have an idea what you're going to be preaching on this morning. Oh. Uh, Easter eggs. Easter eggs, yeah. The more, the more, the better. But um, what I'll do now, I'll just pray for Pete and uh, I'll hand over the mic to We had a serious problem though. Worcester, near where we live, is out of Easter eggs. Oh. All the shops have been raided of Easter eggs. Can you believe it? I think it might have been these Easter eggs that we've had here. (laughs) I've definitely missed some good stuff here. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if you would just pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have... Given us this day that we rejoice and be glad in it. And thank you for the word that you've given Pete by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that he would speak clearly. Lord, that you speak all that you have laid on his heart. And Lord Jesus, that your word would also resonate with us, changing our thoughts, transforming our lives, because we know that you can do that with the power of your Holy Spirit. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Isaac. Happy Easter. It's really good to be here. And it's always tricky following a cool dude like Isaac, you know. So I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> it is a joy to be with you this Easter time. Um, let me tell you a story. Oh, let me set my timer going first, because the story counts. So this guy worked on a building site, and it was a big building site. And um, because it was such a big building site, they were scared of people nicking stuff, because it happens. It's probably in Manchester. Oh, no, it'd be in Liverpool. No, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Regionism. Um, And, uh, yeah, so it had a security guard, and this guy is coming out one night with a wheelbarrow, and in the wheelbarrow is a small metal tin. And the security guard stops him and says, hey, 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 I I need to check everything going out of these premises. I need to check that tin. And the guy says, well, it's just got sawdust in it. He says, what do you mean sawdust? He says, well, I work with a lot of joiners, chippies, carpenters, and they create lots of sawdust and wood shavings, and the kids like it because they've got all sorts of pets, and it's good for the bedding of the pets, so it's just sawdust. He says, yeah, give me that tin. So he gives him the tin, takes the top off his small tin, prods it, sure enough, sawdust, and just wood shavings. Okay, puts it back in the wheelbarrow. Guy goes back. Next night, same guy coming out, wheelbarrow with a tin. Oh, you're taking a mickey now, mate. What are you doing? Has a look at it and does the same again, prods it. Sure enough, it's what he said he was. Third day, comes up with a wheelbarrow with, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Checks the tin again. This is getting crazy. He does that every day for a week. And the seventh time he's coming out with the wheelbarrow with the tin, security guard goes to him and says, mate, I am convinced there's a scam going on here, but I don't know what it is. I keep checking your tin and it's always sawdust. I promise you, I will not grass you up. I won't report anything. Just tell me what the scam is and I promise not to report you. He smiles a little bit. He says, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. (laughs) Now, you see, sometimes... (laughs) I stole that from a, a mate of mine who pastors the Elim, uh, Elim Church in Exeter. And so I stole it from, from Mark. So I need to pay him sometime. 
But you see, sometimes we can see something, and because we see something, we, we sort of we see the obvious and miss the less obvious. I want to talk about at Easter something that happened, and then two things about what happened. Two things, and one of them I would argue is fairly obvious. And if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been a follower of Jesus for some years, my first point, you're going to be saying, that's pretty obvious. But it's so magnificent, I'm going to remind you. But I believe even if you've been following Jesus for a while, the second point is less obvious. And I want to say, hey, there's something magnificent in the obvious, but don't miss the slightly less obvious. So if I ask you a question, what was the first thing that happened when Jesus died? What was the first thing that happened when Jesus died? I'm going to look in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 15. And as we're reading this, the question I'd like you to have in your mind is, what was the first thing that happened when Jesus died, when he breathed his last? So Mark 15, verse 33. At the sixth hour, so that's noon, high noon. They started the clock, if you like, with the first hour from 6 a.m., And so therefore, at the sixth hour was noon, which should have been when the day was at its brightest. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Three hours of darkness. That was creation coming out, almost showing sympathy for its creator dying. Boy. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Just a small part of a hugely significant passage. But in the middle of that we read, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. These two things appear almost simultaneously, and perhaps they were simultaneous. Obviously, Jesus died on the cross. The temple was a short distance away, but you couldn't see one from the other. And yet Mark puts together in his account, and in fact, it's in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the gospels we look at together. This detail is in all three of those gospels. And it's, it's presented as pretty much simultaneous. Jesus dies, and as Jesus breathed his last, this curtain in the temple is torn in two. Now, one writer points out this was both a powerful miracle, but also a hugely important symbol. It was a miracle. It actually happened. It's not myth. It's not fable. Sometimes you read cynical writers and they say, oh, there was an earthquake at the time and maybe the temple footings moved and that ripped the... No, no, no. This was a God thing. I love the fact that it starts at the top. The temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. It starts at God's end. God did something simultaneous that was a miracle but also a powerful symbol. 
And we're going to drill into what it was about that symbol. One writer says this curtain being torn in two was a seismic shock. A seismic shock. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament too well, I need to go back a little bit to the early part of the Old Testament. And in Exodus chapter 26, we're not going to look at it because there's masses in there. But the Israelites, God's people, are traveling through the wilderness, traveling through the desert. And they build a tabernacle to represent the place that God lives, to represent God's presence on earth. The tabernacle is like a giant tent and it's got poles and silver bits and brass bits and gold bits and hooks and bars and beams and wood and sea hides of animals and all sorts of stuff. It's an incredible, incredible thing. And right in the middle of it is the holy place. And the holy place is separated and there's a special place inside the holy place which is the most holy place, the holy of holies. And this heavy curtain, old versions sometimes talk of a veil, same thing. This heavy curtain is what separates God's presence from the rest of life. And the reason they had that in the, in the wilderness is that um, back in the day, um, the way people understood gods, you'd have a god of different territories, a god of this town, a god of this area, a god of this region, a god of this district. And if you move from one place to another, to another you've got to be ready for understanding um, that the gods have changed. God wanted his people to know that I am with you, I am in you, wherever you go. It's not a question of, of having territorial gods. And so to represent that, they made a point of having this tabernacle just as God instructed them. And so this heavy curtain was made of linen, very colourful yarn woven together. And woven into its fabric was pictures of cherubim, cherubs, guardian angels if you like. And so the whole purpose of this, this big curtain, this veil, was to separate the holy of holies where God was from everything else. And when the children of Israel much later settled in Jerusalem and the time of David and Solomon and all that time, they had a temple. And now the temple replaced the tabernacle and still they had a big curtain in the temple that separated God from everything else. And in fact, only one person, that's the high priest, was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to present a sacrifice to God once a year on the Day of Atonement. This curtain was a very powerful symbol of God's separation from humanity. It was a huge, genuine artifact, but it was an incredibly powerful metaphor, a symbol, that God is separate from the rest of humanity. And when Jesus died at Easter time, he ripped that curtain apart by his death. And so if you want a title, I'm not very good at titles, but maybe the person next to you likes titles. And so this morning's title is The Barrier is Demolished. The Barrier is Demolished. You see, what I love, this, this huge curtain, you imagine, have you, ever, have you ever been somewhere where you sort of see something and you wonder what's behind it? See, my wife and I have a very different attitude to it's like National Trust properties and castles and stuff. If you see a big curtain and it's got private... I know what that means is, just have a little peep, just to have a quick look. That's what I know that means. Now, my, my wife has another version of that, which is why she's not been arrested. No. <laughs> but you see, imagine this massive curtain, and it's like, 
What happened at Easter? An opening was not made in it to peer through. It's not like stretched thinner so you can see through it. It's not pushed to one side so you can get round it. The curtain is torn in two for heaven's sake. Access to God is suddenly available to all. The barrier is demolished. There's a a lovely letter in the Bible called Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 picks up this same thinking. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. You'll see how it connects. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, see, the holy of holies, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us, through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I love that. You see, the writer picks up this same comment that we now have confidence we can enter that holy place. We can go through the curtain because that curtain has been ripped in half, torn from top to bottom. And so, two points. Two points from this. The first one is going to be the more obvious one. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be saying, Pete, that's obvious. That's okay. But it's Easter. And we're going to remind ourselves of how powerful this obvious point is. And then the second point will be slightly less obvious. Something for us to think about. First point, access to God's presence is opened to all. Access to God's presence is open to all. You see, for Decades, for hundreds of years, this curtain had been there separating where God is. Where does God live? And when people are growing up in the nation of Israel, where does God live? He lives behind that curtain. Wow, God lives behind that curtain. This whole mystique and this whole mystery and this whole, wow, God's separate, God's other, God's distant, God's far away. And suddenly, in Christ, the barrier is demolished. Access to God's presence is open to all. It's wide open to welcome everyone. What an incredibly powerful symbol. Here's the question. Have you entered into his presence? Have you began that walk with Jesus? You see, I hope and I pray every time I'm in a church like this that there's a few people who are not Christians yet. I really do. I mean, if you're a Christian, that's wonderful. But I just hope and pray on this Easter morning, maybe you're here and you just woke up and you thought, I need to just go to church. God does that sometimes. And maybe you haven't yet entered into that relationship with Jesus. I want to challenge you. Make sure. Talk to Isaac afterwards. Or find a nice person to talk to. Sorry, mate. Make sure. That took a while, that, didn't it? It took a while. (laughs) I've got to keep you listening. But make sure, please, don't go through those doors. When you've come in on Easter morning, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus did it for you. Jesus did that for you. Have you entered in? He's removed the hindrance. He's removed the barrier. I've been a pastor for hundreds of years, it feels like. And I've had the privilege of seeing so many people come to faith in Jesus. And some of them are really goody two-shoes, which is fine. But boy, I've seen people. I've seen people in prison. And sometimes guys in prison for really, yeah, not good things. But their lives have been transformed and they've entered into God's presence. 
I've had the privilege of seeing people, um, a lady who walked the street selling herself, shall we say. I'll say it that way, because I want to avoid saying prostitute, in case you've got to explain it to your kids. But that woman came to faith in Jesus. And the past was removed and demolished. You see, so many people can say, but Pete, you don't know the hindrances in my life. You don't know the blockages. You don't know the sin. You don't know the obstacles. You don't know the incredibly terrible mistakes I've made. Jesus does, and he has ripped that apart. What was the separation from you and me accessing his presence? The barriers demolished. The curtains ripped in two from God's top end to our human end at the bottom. Please, Easter Sunday, access into relationship with God. Do not think that your addiction is too severe, that your self-obsession is, is too great, that your past is too horrendous. Whatever, whatever the obstacle, whatever the sin, whatever the hindrance, access to God's presence is made available to you. Enter into that relationship with him. A couple of chapters earlier in Hebrews, there's a little phrase, and I'm just going to refer to it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. It says this, Jesus has already entered beyond the curtain as a forerunner for us when he became a high priest forever. You see, there have been dozens of high priests. Every time a high priest lived for a while, and then they would pop their clogs, and another high priest would take over, another one would... And, But then Jesus stepped in and the Bible says he is our high priest forever. But he didn't just enter in for himself, he entered in for you and for me. Now, I'm a little bit geeky and I looked up and this this word that's um, translated Jesus was a forerunner. I found out it's written in Greek and the Greek word is a military term. And it means this, a scout who goes ahead to see if it is safe for the troops to follow. I love that. Jesus is our forerunner. Prodromos it is. He's our forerunner. He's the one. See, Jesus didn't just go in as the high priest and says, whoa, it's okay over here. Jesus went through as the high priest and says, whoa, it's okay over here. Everybody come in. He made access to all. That's the miracle. In fact, one commentator points out that this Greek word is only used once in the New Testament, right here in Hebrews 6.20, the only time. And he says, it's not merely refers to one who precedes, but one who prepares the way by the work he accomplishes, making it possible for others to follow. Jesus is the way maker. Hey, we could do with the song on that. Anyway, you see, he didn't just go before us to see if it was okay. He made it okay. He is our forerunner. He made it possible for you and me. The God-man, Jesus Christ, entered in so that we could follow. That's why Romans 8 verse 17 says, We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So please don't miss that. Jesus did everything he did, not just breaking down the barrier to access God for himself, as it were, but as the human being, Jesus went as the forerunner. So make sure this Easter Sunday 2020 can be the time when you access God's presence and begin to follow Jesus. But you might be a Christian, and you might be quietly praying, oh God, if there's a non-Christian here, please make sure they hear what the preacher's saying. Because if you're not a Christian, that's what Christians do, even the good ones. But I don't want you, if you're already a follower of Jesus, to miss something. If you already are a follower of Jesus, do you enjoy the incredible privilege of accessing God every day? 
That's a bit challenging, isn't it? Because you see, if we follow Jesus for donkey's years, we can take it for granted. And we could have spent the last five minutes, oh God, get somebody who's not a Christian to begin to access you today on Easter Sunday. But miss the fact that what about us just daily enjoying that access to God? Jesus is your friend. He likes you. You Somebody needs to hear that. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus likes you. You need to hear that. You need to hear that. I don't know why this has come to my mind. Many, many years ago, I worked with an elder in a church. And he was an okay elder in many ways, but he was quite hard on people. He was quite tough. Oh, I've not thought about this for many years. And one time he and I got chatting and I said, mate, you're good in some ways, but I'm sorry. As a pastor, I'm, I'm sort of repairing damage because you're a bit hard on people. And somehow he said, well, it really comes from the fact that I know Jesus loves me, but he doesn't like me. He's an elder in the church with me. And when we unpacked it, he says, well, I mean, because God's God, it's like in his job description, he's got to love me, but he doesn't really like me. Jesus likes you. Jesus likes being with you. Jesus likes being your friend. Why on earth would we not access that friendship every day? And so don't just be saying, oh, I hope a non-Christian begins to follow you today, Jesus. What about you enjoying it? Because if we're not careful, we end up keeping the religious rules. Oh, I'm reading my Bible this morning, yeah, 2 Chronicles 17, oh, ripping it. You know, I've got to pray now. Oh, Lord bless. No, no, no. It's not about keeping the Christian rules. That's religion. But what Jesus did is he ripped apart the curtain. He tore apart the, the, the separation from God's presence. Made it possible for us to access. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, keep enjoying that friendship. Keep enjoying that relationship with him. And the final little thing on the first point is, did you notice it's to all people at all times? In other words, we all have access to God equally. Paul uses this same imagery in his letter called Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, he says this, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. The barrier has been demolished. The dividing wall of hostility has been removed. And so I'm sure that the picture in here is that that like the curtain that separated God's presence, Paul is saying the same now, that we all have access equally. Verse 17 says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We all have access to God equally. The Jews were the religious insiders, the Gentiles were the religious outsiders, but we have access equally. And so irrespective of race or gender or age or any background, we all have access to God equally. I've been on quite a journey this last few years, influenced by a few friends of mine because of what's happening in society. And I grew up in Manchester, very multiracial, multi-ethnic background, multiple countries, it was our church, whatever. And I think I would probably say I've been a non-racist. But I've changed position this last two or three years. I've moved from being a non-racist to being anti-racist. And there is a difference. And if we're not careful, we can have a subtlety within that we think we all have access to God's presence. But you know, the white dudes are going to be a little bit nearer the front. Or, of course, you can reverse that. 
for all sorts of reasons. Oh, the black dudes are going to be a bit nearer the front. Oh, the Ghanaians. You know what Ghanaians are like. The Ga- <laughs> they're going to be a bit nearer the front. Or, of course, we can say, well, just like back in the day, the men are going to be nearer the front. Or the old people are going to be near the front. Or the wealthy people are going to be near. Or the people with a higher class. Or the people with greater education. Whatever your your bent is, whatever your tendency is, if we're not careful, we forget the fact that not only do we have access to Jesus, uh, to God through Jesus, we all have equal access to God. Every single human being is equally valuable to him. And sometimes you hear people say things like, oh, well, you know, four people got saved, but two of them were kids. What? There was a famous, a famous evangelist said, um, was asked, oh, how many people came to faith tonight? Oh, 12 and three halves. What do you mean 12 and three halves? It's rude to say children with the halves. He says, no, 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 no. The halves were the adults. Half their life is gone. The 12 were the children. But you see, so easily, if we're not careful, we can have that prejudice deep within us that we think we deserve to be nearer the front. And it might be a racist thing that's hidden, or it might be a gender thing, or an age bias, or it might be a wealth bias. Oh, because I'm, I've been a faithful tither for many years this church, I should be a bit nearer the front. No! I've known some churches where the people I mentioned before, they come to faith in Jesus and it gets heard that she was a prostitute. Gets heard that he was an addict for many years. Gets heard that he's been in prison. And you know what happens? People instinctively think, oh, watch her. Watch him. At least they'll be nearer the back in heaven. (laughs) Who says they'll be nearer the back? Sometimes God is more forgiving than churches, eh? So we all have equal access. There's a little tiny bit in the Mark's account as well. Immediately after the curtain is torn in two, who declares that surely this was the Son of God? A Roman centurion. A non-Jew. A Gentile. One who's far away. A military guy. A Gentile. Roman military soldier is the first witness to who Jesus is. Even in death. So... That's the first point. Aren't you glad there's only two? Oh my goodness. We all have access equally to God's presence. Enter in and keep enjoying that friendship with him. That that curtain being torn in two symbolized. But the second thing is something less obvious. You see, we can see the tin but miss the wheelbarrow. It's something less obvious. And And the second thing is this. The time of God being kept in a separate compartment was over. The time of God being kept in a separate compartment was over. If you think about it, the thought was that God lives in the most holy place. It's a separate compartment. God lives over there. And if God lives over there, then he ain't here. God lives in a separate compartment. See, the curtain separated where God lived from the rest of life. If you like, it separated the sacred from the secular. And if we're not careful in the way we live for Jesus, we can have a sacred and a secular. The bit God's interested in and the bit he's not interested in. It's like back in the day, the holy and the profane were strictly separated. It's like the profane should never be allowed to infect the holy. We don't want to damage God. What's that all about? But Jesus abolished that separation. In Christian living, we can sometimes separate our life into two compartments. 
And I have to confess before you, I know for me this has been a challenge. It probably started in my teens. And in my teens, I was in quite a sizable church. And I knew how to look right at church. I could do all the things that were, oh, yes, oh, and shabadabadoo, and all the stuff that made sure you were in. But boy, when I was outside church, oh my goodness, we can have a, a disintegrated and unintegrated life. Jesus wants us to live an integrated life. He doesn't want to keep God in one part of our lives, but he lets God out into the whole of our lives. A brilliant writer called Eugene Peterson. On this verse, he says, The holy place is now every place. You see, it wasn't just that when the temple curtain was torn in two, people could access God's presence. It was also the curtains torn in two. Oh, and God's holiness comes out to the whole of life. We missed that second one. But it's equally valid and equally important. It's not just that we can enter into God, but God's presence can fully fill the whole of life and creation for that matter. Jesus is interested in every area of our life. Eugene Peterson says, when the curtain was torn in two, Jesus did not debase the holy into the secular. He infused the secular with the holy. You see, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we think, oh, my mission is to join God in the holy place and very, have a very private faith. So I have this church bit, but then I have the rest of life that I carried on with. No, no, no. God wants his holy influence to touch the whole of our life and take his holy influence into society around us. Not a, not a fragile holiness that shrinks back from the challenges of living in a post-Christian society, that probably doesn't know what Easter is. But a robust holiness that positively influences those around us. I know for much of my life I've lived with a very fragile holiness. I need to hide away from nasty people. Or, no, no, no. God says take that holiness into the whole of life. Have you ever heard people talk about defending the gospel? We've got to defend the gospel. Defend the faith. Imagine if the person next door to you had in their back garden a lion. I mean, it's probably not true in Sally Oak, I would think. But imagine having a lion. And then you see them like putting fences up and barriers up and putting separations up. And what are you doing? I've got to defend the lion. You've got to defend the lion. Well, yeah, there's round here, there's guinea pigs and there's cats and there's rabbits. There's budgies, you know. I've got to defend the lion. You think, it's a lion. Let it out. And if we're not careful, we're like that with this defending the faith. I've got to defend the faith of Jesus. The blinking gospel is like a lion that needs letting out, not a pet that needs looking after and protecting. In fact, well, I mentioned it. Isaac mentioned before about John Lennox. That is well worth it. He's a great guy on stuff like that. So don't ever think, oh, I've got a Christian faith. I've got to protect it. I've got to make sure it doesn't get damaged. Let it out. Let the whole of Christian living be the whole of Christian living. Let me give you a few hallmarks of an unintegrated Christian life. This is when a Christian can live in two worlds, the bit that's the God bit and the bit that's the non-God bit. A few hallmarks of unintegrated Christian life. Firstly, praying only for Christians. It's just a little hallmark. But you're with people today, and Susie or Sally or Bill or Fred will come and say, oh, I've got this problem. Oh, let me pray for you. Well, it's safe in here, isn't it? But then... Well, I was going to say tomorrow, maybe not tomorrow, because you won't be back at work. Some of you might be. But when you're back at work, or back with friends, if you're in the non-Christian world, 
And somebody says, oh, Bill comes and says, oh, I've we don't think of saying I'll pray for him. Because God's over there. See, if Bill's in church, I go, oh, pray for you, Bill. If Bill's not in church, oh, don't think about it. An integrated life is very comfortable when we're in life generally, not just church. To be able to say, hey, I believe in the power of prayer. Is it okay to pray for you? Very few people will refuse that. Many might be intrigued. What about behaving differently at church than at home? Sadly, I've been around a bit and me and Jill could tell you stories of people who look fine at church. But boy, oh boy, when you get behind the scenes of home life, parent, child, husband, wife, all sorts of issues. No, no, God wants us to live an integrated life. He wants us to take our followership of Jesus home as well. What about believing that God's not interested in your career or in your job? Sometimes I've talked to Christians and they're talking about changing career, changing jobs. And, it, and what's God think about that? God. Oh, oh, would, would God be interested? Of course he'd be interested. But if we're not careful, we have the two worlds going on. And our career is in my part of life, not God's bit. It's really unfortunate. What about watching films that you would not discuss with your Christian friends? Just saying. See, we can have these two worlds if we're not careful. Or reading books or listening to music. What about telling jokes at work that you wouldn't tell at church? It's the same sort of thing. Right, using different language when playing sports. One of the privileges of, of my role at the college at Regents is, is working with young people, training them, and sometimes staying in contact with them when they go out into Christian ministry, church ministry. But I was talking to a young leader not long ago, and they had the privilege of getting close to a leader that they'd admired from a distance. And Oh, yeah, and they had the possibility of getting closer to this leader. And then an environment came up where uh, this person and the leader went to play a particular sport. And the young leader said to me, I was shocked and horrified. Suddenly, the language this leader was using in the, in the sports environment and the attitudes to the other players, thinking, oh, my life. See separate worlds? God wants us to have an integrated life. God isn't in a compartment over there. He's been let out. His holiness infuses the whole of life. What about when you're driving? Oh, dear. You might use gestures when you're driving that you might not use in church. <laughs> it's, oh my goodness, God's interested in my driving. Oh no! He's interested in the whole of life. Making decisions at work without asking God what he thinks. You see, God is interested not just in you when you're at church, but when you're at home and when you're playing sports and when you're doing hobbies and when you're driving and when you're not and when you're walking and when you're at work and when you're with friends. He's interested in the whole of our life. Not only have we got access to God's presence, but God's holiness has been let out to touch the whole of our lives. What about believing God isn't interested in your sexuality, in your sex life? He is. What about moving house without considering if it will help serve God's purposes? All sorts of things. Well, that's just my decision. No, 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 God's interested. I remember some years ago working with a young couple and they were, had a key responsibility in youth leadership and they had the possibility of moving house to a really nice house. They were really interested. It was a good price, good area. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. But then eventually they said, you know what? We realized that if we move there, it's, there's no bus routes to it and it really won't be good for us in our youth leading ministry to be somewhere where young people can't access us by bus. So they said no. In other words, it's not just what's nicest for me. It's how can my life serve the kingdom of God? We sing, I want to serve his purposes. 
I want to be available to him. But the reality of it is realizing that he's interested in all of our life. So don't keep God in a compartment of your life. Don't think this is the God. I think I've, I might have mentioned this to you before. Forgive me if I have. But I was shocked many years ago when I was a young pastor, probably 28, 29. It was a few years ago, Isaac, sorry. Um, and uh, we had to challenge a, a couple in the church, a young man, a young woman, uh, who uh, were not married and were uh, having sexual activity. And we had to, myself and an elder had to go and talk to them. He was 18, she was 15. That got complicated later. Um, so we're having the conversation. The bit I can remember so vividly is when he looked at me, and there he is like 10 years younger than me, he just looked straight at me and he says, I don't see what it's got to do with you, Pastor. It's not as if we were having sex on the church floor. But you know what? I've now been in ministry some years and learned that that's not just a young person's thing. That's everybody's thing. I remember talking to an older couple and they were on the brink of getting a caravan and blah, 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 blah. And then they suddenly thought, you know what? We know that if we get a caravan, we'll be tempted to be away nearly all weekends. And if we're away all weekends, we're not going to be able to serve the church as much as we'd like to. You see, that's integrated living. It's living with the whole of life given over to God. And so, so what? Easter Sunday, the barrier is demolished. There is the obvious, but so important, access God's presence and if you're not a follower of Jesus today begin that walk with Jesus enter in that's what Jesus did when the temple curtain was torn into and if you are a follower of Jesus keep enjoying that friendship so that's the obvious but the less obvious that we can sometimes miss is that in the same way that we were allowed to enter into God's presence God's holiness was let loose and the whole of our life can be given over to him you see if you keep parts of your life to yourself you're going to be responsible for them but if you give the whole of your life over to him he will be responsible and so whether it's at home or at work or in your career or your hobbies or sports, or driving, or the language you use, or sexuality, or your ambitions. Live an integrated life. God wants you and him to enjoy friendship, but not to have two compartments of life. One that God's in, that we call sacred, and one that God's not in, that we call secular. The sacred-secular divide has been demolished because God's holiness was let out. Let's pray. My Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that on this Easter morning, we celebrate your resurrection from the dead. And we love and appreciate who you are and what you've done. And we thank you, Jesus, for this incredibly powerful metaphor that as you breathed your last and died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And we thank you, Lord, that we can now access your presence we can enter into your presence and I pray Lord for those few people here today that you're speaking to right now that they today would accept you as their Lord their Savior trust in you to forgive them and cleanse them of their past in every respect and enter into your presence and Lord I pray 
For those of us who are already your followers, help us not to live with a compartment of your life where you are and then the rest of our our life where we just don't consider you. Help us to live a fully integrated life for you so that we can truly represent you faithfully in the beautiful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.